Hello, welcome to the Food Underfoot podcast. This is Melissa Sokolsky, the creator and director of Food Underfoot. Today is the first podcast, so I think I'd better introduce myself and this podcast. In the next one, I can get into the highlights of last year, which will include eating gingo nuts and making acorn flour. But first, my name is Melissa Sokolsky. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist and forager living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I founded Food Underfoot in 2008. Before that, I had been doing wild herb walks and wild edible walks as part of my acupuncture practice, which was called Birch Center for Health. But in 2008, along with my brother Jason and my husband David, we launched Food Underfoot as its very own entity. At first, it was an educational website My brother Jason set up the format, he used a WordPress template, and I filled it with blogs and videos and photographs. I posted practically every day because I was so excited to share about wild edibles, and we launched in April, which is the perfect time for wild edibles, because the plants were coming up and I had something new to write about every day. Dandelion, burdock, Japanese knotweed, garlic mustard, onion grass, nettles. It was nearly endless. Cleavers, chickweed. I made videos, posted recipes, ate and drank wild edibles around the clock. I also put together a five ebook series that people would get when they signed up to our mailing list. Jason took care of setting up the mailing list and he set up automatic responses. So people would get the first book, which was Burdock, and then a few days later, Dandelion, then Plantain, Clover, and Lamb's Quarters. In between the books, he had these funny little emails about what book they just got or the one coming up. It was really nice and it kept people engaged. Then we put out the Wild Ally Workbook And that was the first thing we had for sale, though we made it pay what you were able and what you choose. And I forget the platform we sold that through. I did the content and Jason set up the nitty gritty of the online work. But now that book is actually available on Amazon Kindle. You can order it as an ebook or as an actual soft cover workbook. I'll put information about that in the show notes. Um, Other things I was doing was leading wild edible walks around Pittsburgh. I always participated in Frick Park's Earth Day celebration every year since it began, I think, uh, leading wild edibles walks and occasionally herb walks. Maybe I should take a moment to tell you how I learned all this. Back in 1992, I did an herbal apprenticeship with a woman named Susan Weed in upstate New York. I lived with her and some other apprentices for three months, and we learned all about wild edibles and how to forage, make medicine, and use them as food. Susan did not have extensive herb gardens. She was especially focused on wild plants, so that's mostly what I learned about. We had chickweed and lemon balm salads. We made nettle tea and comfrey tea. She only used one herb at a time for tea. She was very strict about that. And after I finished 
With her apprenticeship, I went to Maine and continued to study with herbalist Deb Soul, who did have beautiful, vast herb gardens. She had a mail-order herb business called Avena Botanicals, where I worked for a while, while also working on my own as a massage therapist. I had graduated from massage school in Western Massachusetts in 1991. So I made my own herbal massage oils from herbs like calendula, St. John's wort, plantain, and comfrey. I'd make all the oils separately, and then I'd mix them together for the massage oil in different combinations, and they were amazing. Great for the skin, soothing for the muscles. I actually still make herbal oils. In fact, I use herbal oils like plantain, comfrey, and St. John's wort much more than I use tinctures. And I learned all that from Susan Weed, how to harvest and dry herbs, how to make tinctures, vinegars, oils, and salves. And then, as I mentioned, I worked at Avena Botanicals in Maine for a bit. And then I went to acupuncture school in Boston, Massachusetts in 1993 to 1996, where in addition to acupuncture, I studied Chinese herbal medicine. So this was a totally different way of learning about herbs. It was an intense three-year program studying huge texts of herbs. I learned over 300 individual herbs and then formulas, hundreds of formulas, where there could be as many as 8, 12, 15 herbs in a formula. We had to learn about the parts of a formula. The herbs were separated into their functions. There was a general assistance, helper herbs, and envoys. Each herb had its place and function in the formula. And we needed to be able to identify dried herbs by sight in a pharmacy. And I worked in the school pharmacy and learned how to put formulas together for different practitioners who ordered them for their patients. And then we also had a clinic at the school where I saw my own patients and prescribed formulas for them. And what was so interesting about that, about studying Chinese herbs, was that we not only had to learn the Chinese name of the herb, for example, Pugong Ying, but also the botanical name, Taraxicum officinale, which I knew was dandelion. So I saw that, for instance, Ma Qi Xian, which was an herb used to clear heat and relieve fire toxicity, I saw that that was also known as Portulaca alaracea, which is purslane, the very same purslane, exact species, genus and species that grew all over the place that I ate in salad every day of the summer. So I had this interesting perspective that the other students didn't, in that I knew so many of these plants in a more personal way, I could identify them all around me. The same plants we were ordering from China actually grew wild around us, and that was a huge revelation. But most of the plants, though, are used differently in Eastern and Western medicine. And in fact, the way the plants are thought about and prescribed is totally different because Chinese medicine is totally different than Western medicine, even Western herbal medicine. In Western herbal botanical medicine, we think of specific herbs as being good for specific body systems, like red clover, for instance, is good for 
women's hormonal system or Avena sativa, which is oat straw, is good for the nervous system. But in Eastern medicine, herbs are put into classifications like expel the exterior, relieve fire toxicity, tonify chi, tonify blood, move stagnant energy. And we talk about whether herbs are hot or cold and which meridians they enter. And meridians are energy channels which run through the body and are connected to different organs. It's a more energetic way of looking at herbs. So we decide which herbs to use, not necessarily by the symptom. Like in Western herbalism, I might prescribe feverfew for headaches, but in Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine, we diagnose conditions totally differently. So if someone came in with a headache, for example, I'd look to see if the cause was internal or external, if it was caused by deficiency or excess, hot or cold, and classify the syndrome as yin or yang. And based on that, I prescribe the herb, but more often an herbal formula. And that's also different because in Western herbs, we usually prescribe herbs singly, but in the East, we prescribe formulas. So if a headache was caused by deficient chi and dampness, I would choose herbs which drain dampness and tonify chi. So it's a very different way to look at pathology and herbs than how I originally learned. It added another layer to these local plants, which I was already familiar with. I was now looking at them through the lens of Chinese medicine. In fact, there's an herbalist named Peter Holmes, and he's published some amazing books that I have called The Energetics of Western Herbs. And he takes common Western plants that you might find growing around you or growing in your garden and he puts them into the categories the way the Eastern medicine looks at them. He talks about what meridians they enter, what energetic actions they have on the body, whether they're considered hot, warm, neutral, cool, or cold. And this is the kind of stuff I love to talk about and share with people when I go on herb walks. And then I learned about wild mushrooms through the Western Pennsylvania Mushroom Club. In fact, Susan Weed, that first herbalist I studied with, had so warned me and the other apprentices against mushrooms that I was very wary of them. When Dave and I f went on our first mushroom hike with the Mushroom Club, I made him promise that no matter what, we wouldn't eat any wild mushrooms. But the day, that day the group happened upon a forest full of chanterelles and we ended up taking them home and eating a huge basket full because I realized for the first time that mushrooms weren't all these little umbrella-like, you know, generic things that grow in the forest and are indistinguishable from each other, which is kind of what I had thought. These chanterelles were so distinct, golden and gorgeous, and the mycologists pointed out specific aspects of them, and we were just hooked. We went back week after week to walk with this mushroom club and learned about all sorts of mushrooms, including toxic mushrooms like jack-o'-lanterns and deadly mushrooms like the death angel or destroying angel, which is a completely white amanita mushroom. 
And the Amanita is a type of mushroom which starts out like an egg. And then the mushroom it bursts out of the egg and grows up from the sac, the egg-like sac. And it's really distinctive and interesting whole category of mushrooms. And we saw totally different mushrooms like chicken mushrooms and hen of the woods, which are both polypores and grow from wood. I couldn't believe the variety and distinctiveness of all these mushrooms. Polypores versus gilled mushrooms versus bolites. It was so eye-opening. So we started incorporating some nice, easy-to-identify wild mushrooms on the Food Underfoot site, like morels, chicken mushroom, dryad saddle, chanterelles, hen of the woods, puffballs. In 2012, my husband Dave and I offered a wild food CSA. So a CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture, but we called ours CSF, Community Supported Foraging. So we gathered together 10 families and we foraged a bunch of wild food for them every week for 20 weeks, which was a lot. And we had like 11 or 12 different things in every box. Every single week included wild mushrooms, which were definitely not as easy to find as wild plants because you never knew if and when and where you'll find the mushrooms. So we had to be out hunting every week. We knew exactly where the plants and berries grew, but we had to hunt for the mushrooms. We packaged everything up so it would stay fresh. We labeled everything, and then people would come pick it up once a week. I also wrote a newsletter every week, and I put that up on the blog, on the Food Underfoot blog. It contained all the information about everything included in the share that week, along with recipes, pictures, I put the newsletters up on the blog so that people could follow along whether they were getting the produce from us or not. Maybe people were foraging themselves and I wanted to give them an idea of what was out there and what they could do with it. I posted pictures of our share every week. It was really amazing. And that actually is also a book now. It's available as an ebook through Amazon Kindle and it's called One Wild Year. One Wild Year community-supported foraging through the seasons. It contains all the contents of every share and all the newsletters, colors, photos, everything. So I'll put links to these in the show notes, which will probably be on the patreon.com Food Underfoot site. I'll have to, I'll have to figure that out. Um, but that was in 2012. And then in 2015, Someone hacked into our website and took the whole thing down. And Jason somehow was able to save our content. And I think he still has the domain name, but we never put it back up. Um, years and years of posts went into that, and it was pretty devastating. But I was able to move some of it over to foodunderfoot.blogspot.com, which is a free blog platform through Blogger. So you can still find some of our posts over there. But then in 2019, my husband died. Dave died, which was totally shocking and devastating. And for the past two years, I have not been doing much at all, except putting one foot in front of the other and somehow getting through the day. 
personally, I've always been foraging. I still eat wild edibles. I get into the woods and look for mushrooms or I just walk. I walk a lot because I find that's really healing for me, but I wasn't posting anything about it. But lately, I've had the urge to share again, to come out of my isolation, though, of course, right now, everyone is in isolation. But I'm wanting to share what I love most to do, which is being out in nature and foraging. And this past fall was really beautiful here in Pittsburgh. The colors were beautiful, and I was out walking a lot more. And I tried two things, which I'd never tried before, which I mentioned at the beginning, the ginkgo nuts and making acorn flour. So I'll talk about that in another podcast. But I also found some aborted antiloma mushrooms in the woods. People call them shrimp of the woods. They're also very distinctive looking. And I took them home and fried them up. It was just delicious. And another highlight of my fall and winter have been owl encounters. I saw a barred owl in Frick Park and an eastern screech owl I regularly see in Shenley Park because I know where it lives and I go by its tree and visit every time I'm in the park and often it's out especially on sunny days it likes to sleep with its face to the sun it's very cute. So but the past two years these quiet years I've actually had people reach out to me and wondering where I've been and how I'm doing and if they can support me in any way. So when I began blogging again recently, I found the platform called Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And I can post articles and videos, photos and podcasts, and people can choose to become patrons and they can support me. And it's a just a small fee. And, um, and then I put some posts and videos up for patrons only. And some patrons, I think it's like a $5 and up level also get access to this podcast a day early and some other perks like that. You can find that all on our food underfoot Patreon site. And I'll link to that and mention that more in a little bit. But we also have a new Food Underfoot monthly full-color digital magazine. And the February issue just came out yesterday. So right now it's still patron only until February 5th. But after that, I'm going to put the February issue out for free as a sample issue so people can see what it's like. But uh, the magazine's going to come out every month and the magazines are going to be for patrons only but I also have them up on Amazon. So if you don't want to become a patron, but you still want to see the magazine, you can get it from Kindle. And I know, I do know it's a tough time for everyone. And so I did start the tiers at only $3 a month, but I know that that can still be hard. So if you want to still become a patron, um, there's a way you can click become a patron And then if you scroll down to the very bottom of that page, you'll find a button that says customize your pledge and you can choose, you can choose what amount you want. And I do really, really appreciate your support. It allows me to focus on doing what I love to do, which is sharing all this information about wild plants, mushrooms, and herbs. And um, so that's on patreon.com slash food underfoot. It's all one word, P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com slash 
food underfoot. All one word. So I guess that's it for today. It's a lot about me. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I'm so excited to be doing podcasts. So now I need to figure out how to get this podcast up on Patreon. And also I'm going to try to get it up on SoundCloud and then into iTunes. So if you're listening to this, I was successful. Yay. And so great. I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope to connect with you in the future. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.